1: This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from New York City, newly dry New York City, after a huge storm yesterday. Coming to you from around the country, we have, because it's Thursday, co-host in Washington, D.C., Dr. Kavita Patel of the Brookings Institution, formerly of the Obama White House. How are you today, Kavita?
2: Good, considering like Tahoe's on fire, Texas women have been stripped of all their rights, and the world is generally going down a
1: sinkhole. That's absolutely right. And for that reason, (laughs) we've brought a medical health professional to join us on the show <laughs> uh, a mental health professional that's uh, Mary Trump welcome back Mary
0: thank you it's it feels like every time i've been on it's been post apocalyptic or in the middle of a, an apocalypse actually
1: <laughs> yeah no it's a pretty pretty rough a rough place to be of course mary is a best selling author and most recently her book is the reckoning our nation's trauma and finding a way to heal which deals with our national PTSD, which no doubt will come Mm -hmm. up in the course of this conversation. And another uh, healer of sorts is Norm Ornstein, who is of the American Enterprise Institute and who also, I think, wrote out last night's storm safely. How are you today, Norm?
3: I'm about where Kavita is. Of course, I would add to the fires and the uh, corrupt acts in Texas. Multiplied by the corrupt act of five on the Supreme Court, the fact that we have a minority leader, the Republican leader in the House of Representatives, who openly committed an act of extortion and obstruction of justice, which has gotten barely a yawn out there with everything else happening, which in and of itself may be as significant as the other things we're talking about. Not to mention a member of Congress who incited another January 6th, the uh, Contemptible, Mr. Cawthorn. The
1: contemptible Mr. Cawthorn. Now, there's a movie I don't want to go see, but uh, (laughs) we're living it. I was having an email exchange, (laughs) kind of on this topic, with somebody very sort of well-known television news personality, and you know, essentially, it came down to the fact that the country is being pulled in so many directions at once right now. Any one of which would be a challenge, right? You know, you've got COVID, a pandemic, officially, I think, has killed in the 600,000s, but unofficially, I saw one estimate where the the unofficial death toll will pass a, a million within a, about a month from now. You've got climate crisis, most recently a hurricane. The, New York had a flash flood emergency for the first time ever yesterday. We had a tornado warning in Manhattan for the first time that I ever recall such a thing happening. California is in flames. Wildfires have crossed the Sierra Nevada twice in recorded history, both in the past month, going over the top of it, which is a sign of extraordinarily strong fires. We have political crisis, as Norm talked about, threats to democracy, including A Supreme Court that's paring away women's rights to control their bodies, but that's just a prelude, plus a major effort to suppress the vote and efforts to produce change being blocked by a handful of people. We have an economic crisis, not just the aftereffect of COVID, but we've got inequality in this country that's grown for the course of the past 40 years to unprecedented levels uh, right now of course we've got a social crisis in terms of kinds of things we saw last year in terms of racial divisions but also the political divisions I could go on and on but any one of these things would be bad we've got all of them at once it seems almost impossible that a country could handle all of these things psychologically much less actually you know lead our way through them yet that's exactly what current administration is trying to do. Let's just let that all soak in for a moment. Let me start with you, Mary. What's your reaction to to this? Because this is the kind of trauma I think that you've been trained all your life to deal with.
0: First of all, I'm really glad I take antidepressants. Maybe I need to take more. In answer to your question, it isn't possible. For a country, I think, under the best of circumstances to handle all of these crises at once, at least not as effectively as each one is needs to be. But the bigger issue issues have to do with the fact that we continue to be incredibly divided thanks to the previous administration. We're dealing from a position of weakness in a lot of these instances because of the previous administration. And. You know, the media are wasting our time manufacturing narratives they have no business narrating. And I I mean, David, you've been doing just this extraordinary job of laying out the case for Biden's exit from Afghanistan. When you read your articles and your interviews with Ambassador Sherman, et cetera, it's just so obvious that they don't care about the facts on the ground. They had this idea in mind of how they wanted to portray the end of this fiasco, this debacle, this unnecessary war that we never should have been in the first place and fail. you know, refuse to acknowledge that one, getting out was necessary and two, it was done about as well as it could be considering we lost. There's no neat way to get out from under that. And I think one of the reasons that that's sort of connects to everything else is because the media have been doing this for a really long time. I mean, I think it was in in this cynicism of how they've handled this, how they handled the election of 2016. It's ongoing. Biden, apparently his presidency is doomed now because he got us out of Afghanistan. And yet I don't recall any major newspaper asking Donald to resign Mm -hmm. despite everything he did. So it's demoralizing. And the other problem, more to the point of your question, the underlying that litany of horrors we're facing right now is that we're constantly the trauma is ongoing. It's being compounded. It's not ending. You can't deal with trauma while you're being traumatized.
1: You've certainly made me want to take antidepressants listening to describe this, and perhaps that ought to be that we ought to find a sponsor for this podcast, since that seems to be a regular condition. Norm, how do you react to this perfect storm of perfect storms?
3: I'm uh, dismayed even more than uh, perhaps you and Mary and Kavita, but I would underscore what Mary said, which I'm sure I will do more than once uh, today. You know, I see a press corps that has no ability to learn. There is zero learning curve. You would have thought after we saw scandal after scandal in the Trump administration, after we saw what Mitch McConnell did to blow up the Senate, that there would be some change. There would be some introspection at what happened in their coverage in 2016. You would have thought that if that didn't occur, that The attempts to steal the election after 2020 might jolt them. You might have thought that if that didn't work, an armed insurrection at the Capitol, including going after some journalists, might have made a difference. And it hasn't made any difference at all. We started talking about Kevin McCarthy and what he's been doing. There's a ProPublica article just out about how Steve Bannon, has managed to organize an even more fascistic group to take over local Republican organizations and to have them infiltrate the poll working process and the election process even more so that they can steal the next one. We know that Charlie Kirk and a number of others have been organizing this effort to destroy school boards and take over the school boards. And of course, we see this now with these insane efforts to take away masks and to basically open up the schools even more to COVID. We see all of those things happening, and they're barely a footnote in the coverage of what we get. And when I watched today on uh, the Meet the Press Daily, as they were talking about what the Supreme Court did with Texas, to bring on Rich Lowry and treat this as if it's just another action, it tells me that what we would hope would be a bulwark against the erosion of every fundamental democratic value in our system. The press, the free press, just isn't doing its job and probably won't do its job. So there's that, plus the fact that we're now seeing the anti-vax people not just say, we're not going to get vaxed, they're flooding into vaccine clinics to try and block them from getting others involved. And let me just add one final thing to throw onto the antidepressant bonfire, which is anybody who thinks that what happened in Texas, now sanctioned by five radicals on the Supreme Court, is the only thing that will flow from this, is deeply mistaken. Not only have we seen Florida step up and say that they're going to do the copycat law, which means many others will, but when you have a Supreme Court that says, hey, You know, this is a very clever thing that's been done to get vigilante citizen groups to do what we want done so that it becomes more difficult to sue to block in courts because it's not government actors. That's not going to end with abortion. I'm expecting now that along with all of these voter suppression laws and attempts to have partisans who can overturn election results, That we're going to see laws that say that anybody can sue a poll worker or an election official if they believe that fraud has occurred Mm -hmm. and tie them up in court and get dozens of lawsuits that will occur and say they're going to have to pay their legal costs, even if these are frivolous. And if they lose, they're going to pay $10,000 plus their legal fees. And if they win, nothing happens. We're going to see this occur in many, many other fronts. And we don't have press court, but we don't have a court system now with five justices on the Supreme Court who have even a modicum of willingness to do what we would expect impartial judges to do. So have a nice day. Typically,
1: when we have a conversation like this, and I'm afraid that all too often we do, because none of these are news stories. Kavita's response will be, well, look, I'm going to try to put this in a better light.
2: I'm not. Um. There's no there is no universe where there is a better light. And I'll just maybe something that because I don't know if it's uh, David, if you don't mind just building. I've had to kind of fight the reproductive rights fight in Texas for a long time as you live there. I I will say this, like for people to act again, probably a kind of a indictment of the press for people to kind of wake up and be like, I'm mortified. I'm shocked. I mean, every. Step of the way, there has been an erosion. Like when I when I was in government, it was actually allowing for state plans to limit access to reproductive health, which is still law today. So, so I just want to give this to listeners, kind of to put into context. So, ninety six percent of the counties in Texas have no reproductive health access clinics whatsoever. That that was pre September first. Now it'll probably be ninety nine, with the one percent being maybe in parts of you know Austin and, and Houston, Dallas, and metroplexes, but 96% of counties have no reproductive health access, but yet 53% of women live in those counties. And to do what, quote unquote, the state kind of asked you to do, first of all, you have to order an ultrasound on a woman has to know she's pregnant in less than six weeks. You have to find a doctor in less than six weeks who will order an ultrasound. Guess what? Medicaid, most payers won't even pay for
1: it. So good luck. By the way, it's six weeks from the uh, period, from your uh, period, your last period, correct, which is yeah. not six weeks from conception. It's
2: It's not. That's correct. Yeah. I'm glad you flagged that because it's basically impossible. Then on top of that, there's a state mandated script that anybody who does want to, if you fit those criteria, you have to get an ultrasound. I, as the doctor, would have to actually use this state dictated script to kind of review the findings of the ultrasound. All of this has to happen. And then on top of that, there could still be some moron in Texas, because there seem to be a lot of them who could say, no, no, that doctor, you know, did X, Y, and Z and get $10,000 incentive and put me in jail. And I don't know who people think, like, you know, this, the very people that are fighting for quote unquote reproductive freedoms who are also the same people fighting against masks. And I just, I've kind of, David, I don't know what women are supposed to do. When we, there's now a network of women's health providers last night where they were trying on Facebook we were all trying to figure out how to crowdsource. They can't go to Louisiana because of the storms and the power has been knocked out. So everybody was trying to crowdsource. Where can we get women who kind of got caught in this, you know, conundrum? That's insane. I mean, it's easier to get services in Bangladesh than it is in Texas, United States, 2021. And I just want people to let that sink in because if you don't know someone who's ever had to think about an abortion, had an unwanted pregnancy for any reason, then you need to shut the hell up. And it's, incredibly, I've just never seen such a breach now of that on top of, this got a little less noticed because the world is on fire, but David, the courts have now moved where they're mandating that doctors use ivermectin and unproven treatments are forcing doctors to prescribe completely unbased treatments for COVID. And so now the courts have not just overreached in medicine, they're dictating literally what you need to put in your body because what somebody who's a judge in the second, you know, in the circuit decided that me denying someone horse paste is a denial of their freedom. Yeah. I mean,
3: I just want to add a couple of things to what Kavita said. This law, I think, is even worse in a couple of ways. It's not just one lawsuit a dozen people can bring lawsuits. And if you are a doctor or the Uber driver who takes (laughs) the Mm -hmm. uh, woman to the doctor, you can be subject to lawsuits where you're going to have legal fees that you're going to have to pay regardless of the frivolousness of those suits. So you're going to have doctors who are just going to refuse to see women because they'll be bankrupted otherwise. That's uh, one part of it. And I would just say one thing I would love to see. I'm hoping that Mackenzie Bezos or Melinda Gates are regular listeners of this wonderful podcast. Somebody needs to say every woman in Texas can get a pregnancy test kit, home kit for free and can get a morning after pill for free. The only way it seems to me that you can, in some ways, mitigate against this is to make sure that you can know that there's a possibility that you're pregnant and then have the ability to do something about it yourself without necessarily anybody knowing about it. Give a huge grant to Planned Parenthood in Texas, at least maybe in the short run, there's something we can do about that. But this is going to bring all abortions that are in any way legal and appropriate, I think, to a halt in Texas. And of course, the other thing to add is if you are an underage woman raped repeatedly by a family member or by anybody else, you can do nothing about it now. And in Texas, they won't do anything to the rapist either. What a hellhole this state has become. Actually,
1: actually actually the rapist could probably cash in and get 10,000 exactly. bucks. Yeah.
3: Yeah, exactly.
1: Mary, this is, you, you talk in your book a little bit about, you know, having PTSD, but it seems to me that we're all sort of suffering from, and our society is suffering mm-hmm. from something a little bit more like the syndrome that used to be called during world war one, you know, being shell shot. In other words, One thing after another happens, you know, and at a certain point, you just sit there and you're kind of vibrating and you can't respond to it, you know, and I was thinking as you were describing all of this stuff, you know, it reminds me of something else we haven't brought up, which is that every couple of weeks, there's a mass shooting in the United States. And we would say, well, you know, Sandy Hook shooting, you know, this will never happen again. They killed a bunch of children. Finally, we will be motivated to do something. We didn't do it shooting in Florida. We didn't do it shooting in a nightclub. We don't do it. Guy sits with an automatic weapon in Las Vegas, Nevada, and kills and shoots, you know, hundreds of people. We don't do anything about it. The people who do it are turned out to be, you know, corrupt in bed with the Russians stealing money, lying in bed with the Republican party. We don't do anything about it. And, you know, Sure. California is on fire and Donald Trump was the president and democracy is on the ropes and a woman can't get an abortion in Texas. And it's going to be ding, 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 ding across the red states as they enact these laws and, you know, imitate each other. And, you know, Mississippi and Alabama and Florida and all these other places are going to do this insanity because they have this kind of monkey see monkey do approach to destroying our country. It really seems to me to to create a kind of national psychological trauma, Mary.
0: Yeah, it's technically complex PTSD, which is trauma that occurs over a long period of time, which is what COVID has been for a lot of us, or mm-hmm. trauma that's repeated frequently over time. And that's a lot trickier because it's exhausting. There's that. And, you know, David, you say we do nothing. Well, you know, some of us really wanted something to be done. And the fact that the people in power ignored us, you know, the 90 percent of us who want background checks, the 70 percent of us who support a woman's right to choose, et cetera, et cetera, is another compounding, complicating factor. And the fact that there's no respite, you know, I do. I think you're right. I think we're headed. I can't remember what it's called. I think in World War II it was called a 2000 yard stare. Like that's when you knew that somebody had been so traumatized, they'd crossed the line and had just checked out. Like I think that's where we're heading, because a lot of us probably believed fairly that once we got rid of Donald. At the very least, some sense of, not that everything would be great overnight, of course not, we still were dealing with COVID, et cetera, but that we at least could go back to one trauma at a time, as opposed to the 7,000 you just listed that are occurring right now. So we're traumatized by the COVID, we're traumatized by the betrayal of the people in power, I'm feeling completely betrayed by the some people in the Democratic Party. I last I checked, we had the majority. You would never know it. You know, it's like literally let's let's um, let's slide into a fascist theocratic apartheid state uh, in order to keep the filibuster and keep the Supreme Court at nine, just so we can be a democracy. It makes no sense. So yeah, we're we're being completely pummeled on all sides and. One of the biggest problems is a lot of us don't recognize it. If you didn't go into this having PTSD, you may not recognize what's happening with you, Mm -hmm. which can be scary and even more debilitating. And even at the best of times, this country sucks at dealing with mental health issues. We treat mental health like it's a luxury. We treat mental illness like there's still a little bit of stigma attached. It's still a little bit of a moral failing. It's still something we can't talk about openly which is why it feels that I have PTSD there's nothing to be ashamed of people need to start normalizing that you know it's like having asthma I have asthma too who cares it's not it's nothing to be ashamed of and yet we don't have the infrastructure we don't have you know the treatments that people need I'm in trauma therapy I do EMDR therapy I'm in regular therapy and I do all sorts of other stuff who else can do it? I'm so fortunate we don't have the wherewithal to put those structures in place. And especially after this mass traumatic event of COVID and how it was willfully and maliciously worsened by a bunch of mass murdering psychopaths. Sorry if I'm pulling my punches, but you know, here we are now and we don't have the resources. I, apparently Joe Manchin thinks that we would be wasting money spending money now on like infrastructure and child care and stuff because we might need it for another future war. And it would just it wouldn't be necessary to spend the money now. I wish President Biden would establish a new cabinet position that just dealt strictly with the mental health crisis created by covid and then branch out from there. But this is a friggin emergency and we're going to find ourselves if and when we ever emerge from covid we're going to find ourselves so debilitated that, as you said earlier, David, people aren't going to be able to stay connected to what's going on because it's unbearable.
1: You know, I was following the debate about the, or this uh, Supreme Court decision. And, you know, two days ago, it came down on the shadow docket, which is this thing that didn't exist before. Okay. It's kind of like, you know, the Supreme Court making decisions without process and throwing them out the loading dock of the Supreme Court building in the middle of the night. And um, and it's become just kind of they do more work through that than they do through through other kind of things. And then last night, we, we actually got a decision on this case in Texas, although it was a decision that said, essentially, you know, we can't rule on this for procedural reasons. And essentially, the right had found a loophole. They had found a way to repeal a constitutional right that's existed for 50 years in America, not by getting the court to say this right no longer exists, but to create a kind of legal thicket that makes it impossible for the court to quickly reach a decision on that. And I was I read all the dissents and, uh, you know, striking to me, as it so often is, was the Descent of Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who was incandescent with rage, and said the court had stuck its head in the sand and talked about the vigilanteism that this essentially putting a price on the head of people who seek an abortion in Texas uh, would do. And I would say, I said it on Twitter, I say it again. In in my view, because of everything that's happening, because of the risks to the foundations of our democracy. I think Sonia Sotomayor is the most important political voice in America. Reader dissents. It is the narrative of the decline of democracy in the United States of America, written eloquently and founded as decisions used to be, but are no longer in the law and precedent and principle and history. But Norm, here we are. The court Doesn't work. One of the guys on the court, and I think you said this on Twitter, Norm. But one of the guys on the court doesn't even belong on the court, right? You know, he was he was appointed corruptly to the court. Now, I mean, you know, there were other corruptions that took place. Mitch McConnell decided we should have eight people on the court per year, and that was the way it was. But we're losing the guardrails, and apparently, there's nothing we can do about it. Because as Mary just pointed out, there is a small group of people in the Democratic Party who themselves have been corrupted, who themselves are on the payroll of corporations and argue that they want to be reasonable. I I note that Joe Manchin wants to be reasonable about $3.5 trillion to invest in the American people and is concerned about inflation but has not raised a peep about spending another $800 billion on defense, which is more than, you know, the next 10 countries in the world added up. And, you know, there is this kind of misbranded group called the Problem Solvers Caucus in the House, which they ought to be sued by the FDA for truth and labeling because they are the Problem Creators Caucus and uh, I talked to some very senior people in the House of Representatives. They make them much angrier in many respects than the far right and the far left. You're a student of this system norm, and it seems to be crumbling before our eyes. Am I overstating it?
3: Not in the slightest. There's a lot to unpack there, David. yeah, sorry about preface it. to this, which is that. Kavita and I have worked together on mental health reform. Uh, I'm hoping we are going to work together again on this. I have very personal reasons for wanting to do that. Um, And she is a great partner, as we have also worked with somebody she introduced me to, Ben Miller, um, who's very good. Ben is especially apoplectic that we're getting Medicare reform now that's going to add dental and eye coverage Mm -hmm. and doesn't have mental health coverage. So. We're seeing failures at all levels on that front. And now we're going to have a much bigger crisis with COVID on mental health. And it's not just the equivalent of PTSD, depression, the suicides we've already seen. But we know that serious mental illness kicks up with um, a pandemic. And so we're going to see more schizophrenia and we have no capability of dealing with it. So that's a topic I think that we could devote an entire podcast to and more on the court. For several years at the instigation of Norm Eisen, my friend and colleague, Tom Mann, and I ran a world forum on governance in Prague, and we had people from all over the world. And it was particularly interesting to have people from Slovakia who said that the fundamentals of democracy as they were developing there were completely undermined by the judiciary. And that if you don't have an independent judiciary, If you don't have a judiciary that believes in the sanctity of the law and of their own processes, you've lost an enormous part of whatever safety net exists. We have, uh, I think, a court that is now illegitimate in many respects. It's illegitimate because of the ways in which Mitch McConnell kept a legitimate presidential nominee for the court from going forward and then got another one confirmed eight days before an election. And I cannot get out of my head an article that the very smart legal scholar Noah Feldman uh, wrote before the confirmation of Justice Barrett that he disagreed with so many things, but that she's brilliant. So tell me what's brilliant when you get an unsigned opinion that is deliberately held back until after this law takes effect that says no one's been harmed yet when, as the opinion came out, already there had been enormous harm inflicted because you had clinics that had shut down, fearing what would happen, and you had lots of people harmed already. That ignores every precedent that exists in the past, and that will mean that they don't have to frontally remove Roe v. Wade because they will now let other states do this and they can shrug their shoulders. And this shadow docket, which means that we're not even getting the accountability. We didn't have the accountability here of Sam Alito, who I think is the leader of this gang, basically saying we've done this or specific words. And we have illegitimate justices in many respects. I am hopeful that at some point we are going to get the full access to the archives of Brett Kavanaugh's record when he was in the Bush administration And it is crystal clear that he lied to the Senate in his confirmation hearing for the appeals court and again for the Supreme Court. Put aside the question of what he did uh, with women in drunken stupors or rages. He lied about his own behavior. How can you have a justice on the Supreme Court who lied to the Senate to get confirmed? And then you've got the fact that we have a senator provided that vote, Susan Collins, who said she was confident that this would have no impact on Roe v. Wade. It it just boggles the mind. And believe me, we're going to see a lot more of this, including on the election front and many other places. And we do not have that fundamental safety net that exists. We're, I think, in deep, deep danger as a society. And what we know as well is that we're getting a ramping up of the disinformation that's going on of incitement to violence with a lot of people who have a lot of access to a lot of weapons. Remember that in Texas now, anybody can carry a gun without a license anywhere they want, practically Mm -hmm. speaking. We are going to see more incidents of this sort and no real ability to deal with it. And we're going to see states divided in terms of the fundamentals of how people live in a way that we haven't seen, I think, since the immediate period before the Civil War and the period that existed in its aftermath after the freedoms that were supposed to be unfolded for the slaves who had been freed get turned around and turned into the exact opposite. This is a crisis in our country, and we have so many people, including prominent figures in our media and in Congress, who are simply asleep at the switch. Now, I have to give a little rant on uh, No Labels and the Problem Solvers Caucus, which they created. This group, No Labels, is one that actively campaigned against Mark Udall, a senator from Colorado, and in favor of Cory Gardner, because he had joined their Problem Solvers Caucus. Cory Gardner is the opposite of a problem solver, but made a real difference in terms of the makeup of the Senate that helped to lead us in this direction. These are not people out, as you said, to solve problems, but they're sugarcoating a situation that makes it look like, well, we really do have reasonable people there in the middle. It's only the extremes. And it is one extreme that's blocking things from happening. And Joe Manchin, I'm modestly but less so hopeful that this is jockeying around, because the fact is, if he decided to completely oppose a $3.5 trillion, or make it $3.2 trillion, however you want to do it, and if Democrats do, as I'm sure they will, say, you're worried about inflation, Joe? We're going to pay for it by repealing most of the elements of that tax cut. Maybe we'll do something about uh, the taxes on fossil fuel companies, too. See if you're that concerned about fiscal discipline with all of this. He may, he's a politician. He may be just jockeying. But if he holds to this, he's not going to get that other infrastructure plan. And boy, did you learn in New York last night what happens when you let the infrastructure crumble. So if you don't have politicians who understand that we are at code blue right now, and you don't have a press corps that understands it, and you don't have a judiciary that's willing to hold up the fundamental principles basics of the law and of the uh, democratic political system, there's not much good you can say.
1: No, we are in the upside down, the Problem Solvers Caucus or the Problem Creators uh, (laughs) Caucus. I've got plenty of labels I would give to no labels. And there is this uh, coterie in in the Democratic Party, we all know who I'm talking about, of people who describe themselves as institutionalists. And the institutionalists (laughs) are typically the deciding vote for the extremists. And you know, that is it 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 is a deeply troubling because they essentially say, let it be, things will take care of themselves. And that isn't the case. Kavita, I want you to take it home. You can say what you want, post questions to either of these two good folks.
2: Yes, what a what a great way to close because I'm gonna try I am gonna to try to have something a little bit more positive from Mary's book, or at least the part I've gotten to, which I recommend. But Norm, can I ask you, just given what you just said, how do you take the kind of Chantel Brown primary election, which I think has been, by the way, overly interpreted 20,000 ways and mentally masturbated to be like some indictment of progressivism. But do you think that that's just creating, I mean, Clyburn supported her. She seems like a lovely person, but it feels like we are moving more and more towards Democrats. who are just scared of their own shadow. And there is an argument to be made that part of the reason Joe Biden, I have to remind people, it's not like Joe Biden blew out Donald Trump. I mean, this was not like some blowout. So part of the reason I have to believe that Joe Biden won was in part because of this perception that he's a mod. Is that fair? Are you concerned that all the Democrats have done is reinforce that being timid, being moderate, you know, being kind of on the side, you know, you've heard, um, we've talked here about the filibuster and the ills of that. Where do you sit with kind of how the Democratic Party is looking at People like Chantel Brown, even looking at look at Terry McAuliffe, not a big fan, but he's not doing as well as I think people thought he was going to do. What does that mean for the party and how it gets interpreted?
3: So on the latter front, I'm worried and I'm uh, I'm a little less worried today than I was yesterday about the recall election in California. This insane (laughs) process where we could have been in a position, we could still be in a position of losing everything because we have almost 90-year-old Diane Feinstein, who uh, is not operating at full speed. If there is a crazy, radical Republican governor brought in because Gavin Newsom gets 49.999% of the votes and mm-hmm. Larry Elder gets 20%, he becomes the governor. And then there's a replacement taking uh, effect. You'll get a Trumpist Republican losing the majority right there. So we've got concerns. And and I think Terry McAuliffe is as close as he is in these polls because you've got a billionaire Trumpist in Glenn Youngkin who's (laughs) been running all kinds of ads that make him seem like a perfectly reasonable guy. Mm -hmm. And Democrats are a little asleep at the switch right now. I hope that won't happen. On Chantel Brown, I was rooting heavily for her. She is a progressive by most standards. But the reason was her opponent, Marsha Turner, who was one of the people who contributed to Hillary Clinton losing in 2016, which is one major reason why we are in this mess right now, who during the uh, 2020 campaign basically said that whether it's Donald Trump or or Joe Biden, it's a question of which half of the bowl of shit you eat. This is not the kind of person you want in the House of Representatives when you can only lose three people. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of progressive values. It's a matter of whether you look at a set of priorities and are willing to hang together, even when it means making a bunch of compromises, to make it work. So this was about whether you want a person who is not inclined to work with others or somebody who is and will go along (laughs) when you need it. Now that does not short change the reality that Democrats are going to have a difficult time pulling all their troops together Mm -hmm. and that they've gotten as far as they have in the Biden administration with the numbers so close is itself remarkable. Mm -hmm. Nancy Pelosi is the most remarkable leader I've seen in Congress in over 50 years of watching it and has a lot to do with that. But there are lots of challenges ahead. But, you know, let's face it, the challenges at this point have not come from progressives who have been willing to go along to make something happen. They are coming from these so-called problem-solving moderates who are not moderate at all.
2: Mary, do you, uh, just to build a little bit into that, the kind of where I am in your book, you make a very eloquent argument around reparations and rethinking like kind of the 90s broken windows, policing. I mean, there's just a very ill-found narrative that we had and sustained, you know, Giuliani, Bill Braxton. I mean, the list goes on, the Blasio even. And how can, how do you kind of think about, and maybe you lay this out in your book um, further, given what we just talked about with Norm and kind of the tenor of the Democratic Party, where do we have, like, is it police reform? Is it um, a really like honest conversation about reparations? I still think they kind of, shackled Kamala Harris with voting rights, you know, she took on basically every losing cause, Northern Triangle voting rights, might as well, you know, ask her to deal with world famine while you're at it and kind of maybe close out with telling us like, what is the future if we're just stuck in this moderate cycle and we're never going to see some of the like ills acknowledged or actually kind of dealt with in policy.
0: It's very much related to what you started with and asking Norm the question, like why what do we do about Democrats who seem to be afraid of their own shadow, who seem to be afraid of standing what they should stand for? And this is historical. I, I mean, Jimmy Carter pardoned Jefferson. I always say sessions, but it wasn't sessions with Davis. The president of the Confederacy, a traitor to this country, because what he thought he could appease some people on the right. No, there's no appeasing, there's no making common cause with people who are counter-majoritarian, anti-democratic, proto fascist Just, we can't do it. So we need to stop that. And we need to dig in to what makes us Democrats and what makes us the, the party that is wants to help people and is doing so in substantive ways. Norm just said, it's extraordinary what the Biden administration has accomplished given all of the incredible obstacles, given the, horrific hand it was dealt, right? So part of that is, and this is essentially what my book is about, we need to be adult human beings. We need to look squarely in the face at what got us here. It's failure to hold our corrupt leaders to account and punish them appropriately. And we're seeing that with January 6th, just as we saw with Robert E. Lee. It's failing to acknowledge, let alone atone for the strain of white supremacy that is now currently a, ma- a platform of one of our two major political parties. <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure when taking responsibility became something that's, um, I don't know, that adults don't need to do anymore, <laughs> but it's so important. Is it, is it anybody's fault here that people were enslaved? No, but some of us have benefited mightily. From the fact that that system, as Ryan Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative says, slavery didn't end in 1865, it evolved. Mm-hmm. White people in America have continued to benefit from our failures back then to make it right. I mean, Black people were denied the franchise for another 100 years. Imagine how that changed the, the political landscape of this country. Mississippi had two Black senators during Reconstruction. So the point is really that. If we don't take responsibility, then we actually do own that. We take responsibility. We, we look in the mirror and, and we're just honest about it. And we, we educate people and we teach critical thinking and we, we teach media literacy and all of that stuff. So people don't feel attacked when you say reparations, because people who are against reparations seem to think that it was all over in 1865 and everything's been fine since then. Democrats, they need to lead. They need to believe what they believe and don't compromise, don't back down, get things done for the American people that make their lives better and just have integrity, because that's something we haven't had in a real long time.
1: I wish we could go on and on. I, I admire all three of you guys so much. And I think, you know, it's right to have this conversation kind of at the beginning of September as we sort of get back into our focus on the world. The reality is this. This country is in crisis. This is not a drill. This is not political rhetoric. This is not mm-hmm. hysteria from some segment of the population. The reality is that if the Democrats lose the majorities in the House or the Senate next year, democracy mm-hmm. in this country may not ever recover. It will certainly not recover for decades. The rights of women are being stripped away. The effectiveness of the court system is being stripped away. The The reality is that one of the big consequences of uh, the Trump presidency thus far is drawing a, a, a bright red line under the idea that some people are above the law. There is no idea of equal justice under the law in the United States. And by the way, we had a decision this week, a deal that allows the Sackler family to get away with poisoning millions of Americans because they could cut a check and walk away from the mm-hmm. willful destruction of mm-hmm. entire towns in America, of, 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 of people. This is not a moment like other <laughs> moments. It is not a moment where writing your congressman is enough. It's not a moment where treating politics like a spectator sport, where you then tweet your aunt and your uncle and your best friend from college and say, oh my God, can you believe they just did that, is enough. It really requires activism from every single person who recognizes what is going on because we are at the precipice and Norm says it all the time. Mary says it when she gets out there. Kavita, I've talked to you about it many, many times and admire your stance on it. And I just hope somehow we resonate to people out there. And I I want to say one last thing, and this is a little bit of a personal thing, and then I'm going to tune this out. But one of the things that happens when you become a, a sort of visible voice is people try to destroy you. I can only imagine the hell Mary has been through in the course of the past um uh, a couple of years as she's sort of uh, come out into the fore because and and i and I, and i you know i i'm sure kavita you're on television all the time norm likewise you get this stuff i get this stuff you know in the past few weeks i've been very visible on this afghanistan thing and 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 lo and behold you know i start not only getting the usual tweets which are hope your whole family dies in a fiery car crash and i know where you live and i'm going to mm-hmm. come and get you Uh, which I get now multiple times a day. Um, But, you know, the Fox News a week ago, Fox News did a a column saying, well, Rothkoff said that uh, Trumpists are as bad as the Taliban. By the way, I did. And they are. Um, But they decided they decided that they wanted to write an article about that. And I just got a a query from them this morning. Are you still a registered agent of the United Arab Emirates? You You know, you want to know something? Yes. Yes. (laughs) My company is. You know why? Because we produce a podcast for the embassy of the UAE. And you want to know something? When I write for the Daily Beast, it's in my bio. And Mm -hmm. unlike other people who sort of skirt around these laws, we took it very literally and we filed every few months exactly what we're doing. But they're going to go and say, well, you know, that means because we produce a fucking podcast that somehow we're not credible. Why do I bring it up? Because systematically people try to destroy you in writing these articles about Afghanistan. I've got mainstream journalists coming after me because it has revealed the shoddiness and the biases and the uh, sort of half-baked thinking that's gone into their reporting. And all of a sudden you become a threat and it's very easy to turn away. It's very easy to turn away and it's very easy to lose sight of the ball and the ball is that democracy in America, which has been the greatest gift this country has given its citizens since 1776, flawed as it has been, and the greatest gift this country has given to the world in all of that time, it's in the ICU. Okay, it it you know it is on the verge of flatlining, and we have to you know I hate to sound like you know the Rush Limbaugh of my basement here, but the reality is. We've got to open our eyes and recognize the criticality of this situation. I am so glad that you guys have joined us to do that. I have so much respect for you. I hope you will come back soon. Thank you, Norm. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Kavita. See you next week, Kavita. Um, And and hope that all of you who are listening come back and bring a friend because we've really got work to do and we'll do our share uh, as best we can for as long as we can. Thanks very much. And it's still pretty dangerous out there, folks. So take care of yourselves and take care of your families. Bye-bye.